One week later, lures someone else back. And this time, though, he accidentally drugs himself. I had a laugh I mean, at this bit. <laughs> this is, this is <laughs> unbelievable. Accidentally drugs himself. Not only does he accidentally drug himself by presumably drinking the wrong drink, drinking the, the drink that's laced with sedatives, he wakes up to find that the guy that he tried to drug had robbed him. <laughs> robbed him like $300, I think, isn't he, or something? Take the watch as well. Imagine being that person, though, and being like, oh my God, I was the guy that nearly got killed. I would have got killed if he hadn't drugged himself. Imagine knowing that. It's ridiculous, isn't it? Mad. This week, we are discussing Jeffrey Dahmer, a serial killer who killed 17 men. And this is a pretty horrific case. This is a lot of deaths, a lot of killing. We are going to deep dive into uh, what happened, why did it happen, how did he get away with it, and his conviction, etc., etc. Big case, this one. Big case, and... uh... Good old Jeff is enjoying a second wind, a second bout of fame, isn't he? Recently, mm, he after is. the uh, the release of the Netflix, not documentary, was it? It was more of a dramatization biopic. Yes, there was two. There was thing. There was a dramatization one, and then there was tapes released afterwards as well. So they really right. doubled down on it just to maximize on the moolah. cash cow. Yeah, cash squeeze cow. the cash out of the serial killers. I, I'm exactly. But disclaimer: I didn't watch the. Uh, the little biopic thing because the Dharma biopic did have some fabrication in it, some exaggeration in it as well. So it's best just to, if we're doing a podcast like this, to stray away from that type of stuff, isn't it? We've gone straight to the source of the information. That's what we're going to talk about today. Well, let's give a brief overview of who Jeffrey Dharma was to begin with. Um, so he basically, at one point or another, he worked at a chocolate factory. Okay, so he's a little worker there. To me, I envisage him as a little bit like an umpa lumpa, maybe just like <laughs> working at this chocolate factory. And that's that's how I envisage him. Yep. He went on to, however, kill 78 people. So um, unlike the Umpalumpas, who, I mean, they killed a few, to be fair, that some of the people who came into the chocolate factory did die. Death by chocolate, maybe? Yeah. What makes this case so interesting is the way in which these people died. And we're going to get into quite gory details and the very sort of the specifics of what happened here. I mean, let's get into his early life to begin with, I think, because... Sure. Um, some people debate exactly what happened in his early life. Some people say, was he deprived of attention? But then other people saying he was quite well-loved. It's quite difficult yeah. to decipher the, exactly what the situation was there. Yeah, exactly. That's what I caught from. I got kind of like conflicting accounts of, of what actually went on in his early life. Because obviously you have the classic, his dad was uh, quite intensely studying, wasn't he? He was at university, so off off the scene yeah well i don't think his dad and mum did have uh, chemistry actually they were always by the sounds of it they were at each other's throat she was a depressed depressed hypochondriac not sure how much we can believe that because if she was hypochondriac maybe she self-diagnosed the depression good point and she's over-exaggerated it who knows but not to gaslight you know, Barbara, no, whatever she was called. I forgot what she was called, actually. <laughs> uh, she actually attempted suicide, didn't she, in her early years? So not a happy did. home life. But also there's the accounts of, like, him and his father having quite a close friendship and them actually bonding over dead corpses. Mm-hmm. Like, as you do. Well, every 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 corpse is dead. Like, dead yeah. animal corpses. Animal corpses, shall we say. And his dad was, you know, pretty pleased about this because his dad was a scientist, obviously. And he thought that young Jeff was just, you know, scientifically engaged collecting chipmunk squirrel corpses mm-hmm. dog corpses and the like so i don't know there seems to be a bit of an affiliate affiliation between father and son at least and mum was you know not well yeah it's, it's an interesting one because you never know how much is people joining the dots up backwards and yeah. being like well he was a serial killer let's delve into his early life it was the dead things that they were doing you know dealing yeah. with it's difficult to know how much of that had an impact or not like yes it's very easy to go 
well, he was four years old and showing an interest in dead animals. It probably turned out to be a bit of a nutter. But yeah. equally, there's probably other like young people who've had weird interests in their early age as well. Maybe, maybe not to the same, maybe not to the same extent. But I do feel like I don't know. Like, is this again? It goes back to this thing: as is this a genetic thing, a way you like become a murderous psychopath? Or yeah. is this impacted by your early life, uh, sort of that you have? And I, I don't know how you end up, you know, aged four handling dead animals, and then you go on to killing seventeen people. There is a bit of a gap there. Yeah, I think it's 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 always easier, isn't it, to connect, connect the dots when hindsight is twenty twenty. But if I committed murder, somebody look back and go, yeah, well, used to be a bird watcher, a bit weird. Mm. Used to collect bird eggs or whatever. Therefore, he's a weirdo. Therefore, he's bound to do this. Exactly. He used to play RuneScape, so he murdered yeah. somebody, hacked them to death for some iron. Some he gold did play a lot of GCA. Yeah. It's like, well, okay, lots of people do. He ended up murdering a prostitute in a strip yeah. club, of course. Ran over so yeah, there is that. There's a like specific name for it. the reasoning is, is is flawed. We had it with Bundy as well, where he had a, a fractious childhood. I would, you know, spoiler alert, Dharma, alcoholic, I would say he probably developed that as a coping mechanism in response to his problems at home, mm-hmm. not necessarily the murderous stuff. That's what I'd say. Yeah, I think there was there was a lot of things going on at home, wasn't there? Which I don't think helps any child in their development to have quite an unsettled house where the dad's out revising whatever chemistry stuff. Revising, you know, just revising. Got to do well on this test. Doing his GCSEs, <laughs> revising, revising on the old chemistry stuff. And then his mum's not very well in bed. That can leave someone very isolated. Even though it seemed like he had a good relationship with his dad, as we'll come on to further on the path uh, down down the line, there is like that sort of question mark of, of okay, but who was looking after this child? Like who was yeah exactly mum was having an affair as well never nice to uh, to learn of yeah. that i suppose but i mean that that, so people would point to the fact that he would play these kind of pranks pranks his friend didn't he once by sticking a like the skull of a dog on the end of a stick mm-hmm. but back then from from stories that i've heard from people that were also alive back then that's kind of how people had fun back then there was this, this hobby that i've heard of my dad's friends doing called birding where you'd rob eggs from a bird's nest prick a hole in the bottom of them blow out the like egg inside and mm. keep the egg as like a, a prize shall we say right it's pretty normal things to do back then because you had to make your own fun back then no video games so i wouldn't necessarily say that that is the sign of a, a serial killer again you know, it's in, another in the making it's another one of those things where he might have just been living out in the sort of sticks a little bit and again if you live in that lifestyle perhaps you do do these things that are very unusual to the vast majority of people like you know exploring the, the skeletons of chipmunks and that kind of thing yeah. like maybe it was just a curious mind like it gets it's very easy to spin it and be like well you're destined to be a serial killer maybe but also maybe not americans a bit weird as well yeah exactly you gotta factor that. that bit in Big country, a lot of weirdos. You can buy guns in supermarkets over there, the like, and all that stuff. People just get their kicks in, in different ways out there. Let's not be culturally, you know, shameful. With that. Yeah, I mean, checking skeletons of chipmunks is actually quite normal in comparison to some of the other things you listed. Yeah, exactly. So... It's, an, uh, it's, a, it's a classic American pastime. It's an American, as, as American as apple pie. Exactly. Um, his dad went on to teach him about how to bleach bones again because he thought of this. He had this scientific interest, perhaps. Uh, but obviously, as we'll find out, this this became um, some a skill which was used to different effects, shall we say? Um, and he was actually heavy drinking at school by fourteen, which I think is pretty young to be heavy drinking. I mean, he was having like bottles of, of I don't know, maybe it wasn't gin. It was some spirit or whatever. I mean, it wasn't gin. Was sipping on, <laughs> saving on. all the bottles so you can put fairy lights in the. the <laughs> Yeah. gym bottles as decoration at home. 
Yeah. Just looked right <laughs> at my Facebook, face tube. But I think interesting that he's drinking by 14. This quite clearly becomes a crutch for him to lean on uh, throughout yeah. his entire life. And alcohol is something that he's really quite clearly struggling with. And I think goes on to become quite an important factor in a lot of the crimes he commits. Like There's a yeah. very common theme of him drinking beforehand. I think it becomes a coping mechanism. I think anybody that starts drinking that early on, you know, having not grown up in that culture, there wasn't much going on at home in terms of drinking, you know, for him to learn from. He's kind of picked this habit up himself, obviously struggling with the fractious nature of his home life. And also the the sexuality kind of layer of things to it, especially as we're talking about mid-70s America and attitudes. He was obviously gay and, you know, attitudes towards gay people weren't the most hospitable then. And it's around this time that he discovers that he is gay around the time that he was 16 so a, a definite kind of coping mechanism and a, a theme that, that that occurs throughout his whole life as a coping mechanism is the reliance on alcohol like you say the fact that he realized he was gay is is a huge huge part again in this as well as the alcoholism he quite clearly and he said this i think in interviews resents himself for being gay and really doesn't have a very good relationship with his own sexuality and i think he really really struggled with that and a lot of it and there's some different people who were quoted during his eventual trial which we'll get onto later on um who basically talk about how they feel as if a lot of these acts were to try and um as like a, a way of uh, almost attacking himself in a way in his own mm. sexuality and sense of self and that clearly there was a lot of resentment built up there um, but it's interesting i think he went, actually did have a brief relationship when he was quite young as well uh, with somebody during that time but also that came to nothing uh, and he began to start fant- fantasizing about control and domination um, of his male partners like in in sort of his teenage years now this is again i think it's quite an unusual thing to sort of fantasize about and you again wonder where's the controlling sort of where's that stemming from is it because his life is out of control at home or is this just again a genetic thing? Like it's difficult to sort of derive where that comes from. But this sort of um fantasizing about control and domination becomes more and more part of his life in his teenage years and quite early on in his teenage years as well. Yeah, I think you get people that prefer, you know, having different roles in the bedroom, mm. submissive and, and dominant and 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 whatnot. But when it gets to the point where you're hiding in bushes by the side of a you know sidewalk, targeting you know, this jogger that you've seen jog past a few times at the same time every day. And you think, well, tomorrow I'm going to hide in the bushes and jump out on him and, you know, target him. Uh, it's, it's probably taking it a bit too far. But of course, this this didn't come to fruition anyway, because mm-hmm. the jogger didn't come past. I don't think, did he? But having those thoughts in the first place is maybe taking things more than a step too far. And that, that's weird how that just sort of creeps in really out of nowhere, that sort of fantasizing about those sort yeah. of things. Like you say, that, that didn't come to fruition in the end, but that was a, a first sign of something there really and it's quite early on to have that at 16 when you just discovered your, your your sexuality is is quite the you know it's quite the the moment of realization and it's quite an extreme move to take isn't it like i said you can have those kind of roles that you prefer in the bedroom but when it comes to complete and total subordination as something that you expect so much so you're violating other people's personal boundaries then that's when the, you know the warning signs will start flickering yeah. And at this point, his parents divorce. Uh, his mum had a brief affair. His dad moved out into a motel. Obviously, this is all quite unsettling, out of his control and not an ideal home situation. But in 1978, he graduated. And at that point, his mum and his brother both move out. So he had a younger brother. And that meant at 18 years old, he was left in the family home alone. 
And this is yeah. where things start to go pretty bad, as as we're going to see. But that is not an ideal situation, really. No, not for somebody that's been neglected or felt like they've been neglected or abandoned for most of their child life anyway. Mm. To then graduate from school. He was reasonably popular at school. Bit of an outcast, but a, a class clown was the vibe that I got Sounded from like the it. description of him. So not a complete and total like outcast who was devoid of all attention. But to go home, your dad's busy studying, your mum is preoccupied with her own issues to have that for several years and then have them move out and have the house to yourself you know you're going to have these feelings of abandonment as if nobody cares about you as if you don't have a stake in society and that's when you stop caring about consequence essentially i mean to get the family home to yourself at 18 is, is quite unusual it's obviously you know maybe we can assume they don't know what's going on in his head can't be the, the family members yeah. it's not like they're going yeah he's probably saying enough we'll, we'll just you know let him stay by himself that kind of thing it stems from the lack of attention again they've got no idea what's going on in this their son's life yeah you know? but i suppose in, inheriting the family home all to yourself these days would be you know cash in on that you know right, be yeah. nice little nice little earner. didn't end up uh going so well did it fall i mean three weeks after graduation he picks up a hitchhiker, Stephen Hicks, and lured him to this house uh, for for drinks. Uh, after, and after several hours, Hicks wanted to leave, but Dharma wanted him to stay, and consequently hits him with a dumbbell, and then ends up strangling him and killing Stephen Hicks. He goes through this process of of stripping him of his clothes, um, exploring his chest, pleasuring himself over the body, and then his body is put in a basement before the next day, dissecting it and burying the remains. Oh, what I do find particularly interesting about this is the parallels with the the Ted Bundy podcast that we did a few months ago. Hitchhikers, why, you know, they've got bad PR. Why do they do it? It never ends that well, does it? It's died out they, and, and for they, this reason. For this, for this very reason, they need a decent PR campaign to bring it back if they want to, because you are just, you know, for somebody like Dharma, you're somebody that's vulnerable and in need of somebody else's help that instantly puts a power dynamic at play here mm -hmm. get in the car with him you're then in his space in his home you don't know this man you want to leave they spoke for several hours though it wasn't as if as soon as they got there dharma was like right over there with a the dumbbell they spoke for several hours about a range of of topics but then when it came to him leaving didn't like he's, it. he's obviously feeling like very it. alone isn't he and he's probably enjoying the guy's company they're sat there having drinks listening to music by the sounds of it he's yeah. probably enjoying the guy's company and wants him to stay and then this is the first sign of again he's now perhaps thinking well i'm the man of this house now i'm in charge of this house and he's got this controlling nature about him and now this is where he first snaps and it's like yeah. well this guy doesn't want to do what i want him to do so I'm going to now kill him. The conflicting themes of control and impulse that I find most interesting as the threads that run through this whole story mm -hmm. is the fact that Dharma was driving. This wasn't premeditated at all. In fact, I think accounts state that Dharma said that he spotted the guy by the side of the road, thought he was attractive. He wasn't wearing a T-shirt or was wearing yeah, you know, a with no buttons done or something like that. Was attracted to that. And then suddenly you you have this tragic kind of course of events where Dharma then decides to take him back to his house. And there's a couple of, you know, we'll get on to a couple of the cases where Dharma hasn't even intended on killing. He said like mm -hmm. in the interviews after, I didn't intend him killing him. You know, he just kind of woke up the next morning. It was there. So it's this kind of desire for control that comes out of nowhere. I found that fascinating. Yeah, it's it's really interesting to to think what's what must be going through his mind and what's caused these sorts of erratic actions. Because, you know, like I say, next day he dissects the body that, that is stored in the basement, buries the remains, and then weeks later he digs up um these remains, takes the flesh off the bones, dissolves the flesh, and then scatters these crushed bones around the backyard, basically. So he's going through like almost a process of this. Like he's not only just killed the body, but now he's digging it up again. 
and then stripping it down and it's like all oh, this sort of process that he's beginning to sort of develop is really quite unusual to watch play out and try and decipher like why is he doing this yeah and i do i can't help but think that you know if in your formative years you're having these experiences but with animals that it's like a foot in the door technique where you become desensitized to the fact that you're dealing with an animal corpse and it's only a matter of time before you kind of graduate to the level of human corpse we've seen it and i don't know if you've seen don't mess with cats another netflix mm-hmm. documentary <laughs> basically no, it's been out for two years now three years yeah. so if it's a spoiler alert for you catch up but basically starts out murdering a cat ends up murdering you know a human i think there's a logical progression between in your formative years being desensitized to these animals and then you think well the logical next step you know this won't phase him this isn't bothering to a normal person you'd be bothered by the prospect of crushing a mm. human's bones whereas this would probably seem normal to him because of the experiences that he had in his formative years yeah i think that makes sense i think you can see there's a progression there um i think you know, if you're genetically predispositioned to be violent or murderous, as he might well have been, possibly, we don't we don't know that, then those sorts of experiences at a young age are only going to push you further towards that probability of yeah. that outcome. So we, we can probably say that's, you know, it seems like may, may well be the case. Um, six weeks later, after this death, um, after he killed someone, his dad returns home, and then Dharma enrolls um, at university before dropping out after a term. And yeah. then in 1979, he enlists in the army and was deployed into West Germany as a medic. He eventually is discharged. Just just on that point, he was encouraged to go to university by his father, who was bankrolling that. Fails, flops at uni, not academically engaged, relying on the drink a bit too much. Dad then suggests enlisting in the army. That, to me, is not reminiscent of a relationship between a parent and a son where the parent does not care. Mm. You know what I mean? So that's why I'm, you know, especially skeptical of the people that look at this case and go, the parents were distant and, you know, abandoned him here, there and everywhere. We're never really there for him because at various points throughout his life, his father, at least, was there for him. And it's, it shows in those two examples of the, the army and the, the university. Person. He could have just sent him straight to the army. I mean, they could have just yeah. encouraged that. Um, but anyway, he eventually, like I so say, drops out, um, goes to the army for two years as a medic. It sounds like alcoholism was a big problem. Um, for him during that time and he was drinking a lot and it was causing issues um, in the army and so he got discharged um, at this point he then sort of moves to Florida for a new life uh, gets a job at a deli starts to it's make lovely. some money yeah it does it sounds lovely uh, starts to make some money spends it on booze so again this alcoholism's quite clearly a problem gets evicted from this motel um, that he was staying at uh, before then returning back to Ohio so there's a lot of change that's going on in his life at this point. I think he's in his early 20s, maybe around this time, I want to say. Yeah. Uh, and so there's a lot of change going on here. He's quite clearly struggling with, with drink and he's trying to find his feet in life as well. He sort of doesn't really have a place in society at this point. Yeah. And even when he was discharged from the army, there was no suggestion that they discharged him because this guy's mentally unhinged. He was just drinking too much. I think he got his whole uh, regiment into trouble, didn't he, once for uh, acting out of line or saying something out of line and the whole regiment were uh, punished for that and they didn't like that. They, in turn, punished him for that. But then he comes back from the army. They say, you know what, you're drinking a bit too much. You're no good for us. They're not saying you're a psychopath. They're just saying Mm. you're no good for us. So he gets, you know, returned to America from Germany. And they said that you you can have a plane ticket anywhere. Yeah, it's not a bad perk, is it? That mm. and he that, so he chose Florida because he was sick of the the cold, apparently. You know, so go yeah. Jeff. And so eventually he ends up finding his way back into Ohio um, and then gets arrested for being drunk and disorderly. And this becomes a sixty pound fine and a ten day suspended sentence. So 
he's starting to get into some like trouble here, starting to ease his way into the trouble in many ways. Yeah. I mean, obviously he's had the, the you know the killing, um, but yeah. then he, that's you know fresh slate goes to the army, clean slate. Come on, now we can do the killing legally. Although he was a medic, so. Um, but anyway, in December 1981, he's sent to go live with his grandma, who he liked and got on well with, and was basically sent there to try and sort himself out, which I quite like as this sort of, it's, it seems like an American stereotype, this. You're not behaving, you're not doing what we want. We're going to send you to your grandparents. I don't know why, but I feel like I've heard that sort of narrative before. Yeah. I don't really know what, what, it, what this thing is. I've also heard the old American kind of, you don't have enough discipline in your life fuck off and join the army for a bit, which yeah. they tried before the grandma thing as well. So they, they, they must have this uh, great, the great big American parenting handbook and they're just going page by page. <laughs> this is what you're you know? supposed to do, isn't it? Just, no. Yeah, exactly. So but we do see what I like about this point of his life, though, is that we do see him coming to terms a bit more with his sexuality, with him visiting spaces that are actually delineated for gay people, gay bars, gay saunas. So he's actually coming to terms with his sexuality. That's how I viewed it, because that's how I would view it as a normal person. He may be staking out these places for victims. Maybe. That's, that's not so nice, I'd like to put on record. Not ideal. He <laughs> basically goes to live with his grandma and wants to try and sort himself out, find some work. He did find some work for 10 months, and then he got laid off. And you know, this isn't ideal for anybody. Again, when you lose your job, it's not, not ideal. But when you're you know someone with a certain propensity to kill and to you know mess around with animal parts... It's not ideal, you know, it's, it's not an ideal situation. And so before losing his job, he gets arrested for indecent exposure. He exposed himself to 25 people, 25 people in front of him, and was fined $50. And um, I think... Not, not a heavy fine, either. It's not a heavy fine. No, maybe inflation's changed. Maybe that's like 50 grand <laughs> nowadays. Yeah, what's that know? in real terms? What's that yeah, in, real terms? in real terms, please. Uh, but yeah, exposing himself, it's an interesting one that there's some devious nature there as to why you know, expose yourself. I mean, I was... I heard some talk about this a while back that people expose themselves. Again, it is down to control right. and it's you're able to then control the reactions of other people because of it. So you do something horrific and you, it puts you in the driver's seat because you're controlling this, um, I guess, trauma, you could say, that you're, you're, you're essentially giving to somebody else. So it's almost like if you say, you know, if I get my knob out here, people are going to scream and be like, oh my God, what you're doing. And then you do that and they do react like that. And you're like, ha, I knew that would happen. Type thing. I've got control over you and over your mind kind of thing. And you, I think he also gets their attention as well. Get their attention. Yeah, he definitely <laughs> did. Definitely. I don't know what sort of, what he was packing. I don't know. Don't know. <laughs> he didn't care, did he? He, did, he wasn't bothered. Didn't care. It was, uh, was it, it was sizable. No, but go on. Um, <laughs> he... But, the, 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 you, you're right, there's a, there's a trend towards more devious nature at this point. Even the mannequin bit, where he stole yes. the mannequin from the store to, uh, I don't know if it was practicing sex acts on it, or whether that was for him, you know, the, the actual... Kind it's of, awkward when, he's, you know, when the, his the grandma thing. found out, though, isn't it? <laughs> you know I mean, that's awkward. When his yeah. grandma found it in What's his this? wardrobe. He's probably going through his wardrobe but expecting, you know, a couple of like dirty, smutty magazines and she finds a, a cum-ridden mannequin. <laughs> Why has it got a hole in it? <laughs> what What are you doing, Jeff? What are you, where's that from? How has he snuck that in as well, by the way? Is she completely <laughs> oblivious? I've said this before on this podcast. Old people are dumb. We shouldn't yeah. allow them out of, like, out of like a 10-mile radius, okay? How has she not noticed this massive mannequin? He's not, has he gone through the front door? Has he taken it up the flight? I don't know, right? She she catches wind of things later on slightly, doesn't she? But for a while, he's just going round. Does you know, he sedate like... her in order to get these things done? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, what's going on? It's probably his ideal sexual partner because he had this like fixation 
on his sexual partners not being able to move during sex. Mm. You can get a bit, bit annoyed at that. The mannequin is perfect. I'm I'm proposing that if his grandmother didn't get rid of the mannequin, he wouldn't have gone on to murder the other 16 people that he murdered because Ooh. he'd have been that fixated on the mannequin because it's his ideal sexual partner. Doesn't move, doesn't speak, doesn't struggle, that he uh, he wouldn't have committed the last 16. So I'd actually say it's her fault. That, that's an interesting point that, that you raised actually about the mannequin thing because he actually says, and I think in a later interview when they're debating as to whether he is a necrophiliac, I think is, is the term, because yeah. obviously he goes on to have sex with some of the bodies. They're debating as to whether he is that or not. And I think he actually says quite openly that he... Yes, I think there are parts of him that does enjoy that. But actually, I think he says like 75% of the time he prefers, um, I think, just something that's completely still, not as in a dead body, but just something that's still like Sedated. a mannequin kind Sedated, of thing. Yeah, essentially, yeah. Which I think but, is I mean, an I, interesting one. I was making the point comedically, but it is, yeah, it's actually... It's, it's, it's an interesting thought, point, yeah, yeah. That his ideal sexual partner could have been a mannequin and his grandmother found it and was like, get rid, or I'm it charging might, it. Might have spurred him on. <laughs> might have spurred him yeah, on, you never know. Never know. Um, he ends up having two years of unemployment during this period. Uh, and like I say, he goes on to be a chocolate factory worker in, in 1985 um, and gets propositioned by a man reading while reading at a library, which I think is an interesting point, um, which he didn't actually respond to this proposition, but it does seem like this stirred some teenage age fantasies about control and dominance and um i think may have may well have been a catalyst for some further things that happened i'd love to know how he knew that dharma was gay because obviously back then this is the, the we're talking about mid 80s now you're not really wanting to parade around the fact that you're gay because this is the height of the aids epidemic so it's interesting but you know that's the just the point in my i think <laughs> the crop rainbow top badge. the rainbow crop top yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the way that he was turning the pages with his limp wrist uh, <laughs> but he's obviously exploring these gay places and he spent a lot of time at these uh, they sound like gay saunas to me mm-hmm. you yeah. still get them these days they're essentially saunas that are set up for gay people to have sex in in steamy mm-hmm. rooms basically that's what they are that's their modus operandi and this is where he first starts sedating people, isn't it? He starts giving uh, sleeping pills um, to some of the partners um, that he meets at these saunas, these gay saunas. He quite clearly becomes frustrated by them moving during these acts. So the, hence the, the sleeping pills. Um, and after 12 instances of doing this, 12, 12. he was eventually banned from the gay What do you think houses. they said after the 11th time? Was it one more time and that's it? 12th Jeff. time and you're out. <laughs> That's okay. the famous baseball saying, isn't it? 12 yeah. strikes and you're out, I suppose. That's what it is. It's interesting yeah. how they've, they've gone back and counted this as well. After 12, they've, got, <laughs> like, they've noted it down. Okay, but 10 times, but 11, we'll, we'll, we'll kick you out next time. And then it's like, no, <laughs> next time we will. I, mean, I love how they say, right, this is the 12th time you've been caught sedating somebody for sexual purposes. So we're taking a membership away and not telling the police. We're taking <laughs> a moral stance on this. As good human beings, we're Woke. saying... 12 Woke. too many, sister. 12 too many. Okay. We're not going to go to the police, though. You just can't come here anymore. We'll take your membership card away. It's revoked, okay? I know. So do you remember the old... Um, Slap on the wrist. Used to, you probably like that, though. You uh, used to do a, a talent show where they were looking for a new Joseph in the West End. Do you mm-hmm. remember watching that? Andrew Lloyd Webber. And at the end, they'd come and take the Joseph coat off of one of the contestants that have been evicted. I just love, I would absolutely love if he had to stand in the middle of this gay sauna with his like white robe on and be derobed by all the people <laughs> that were in there as some emotion. And they're all something. singing. They're yeah. all singing Joseph. Yeah. It's weird. This one. They're all probably a bit sleepy because he's been fucking slipping stuff yeah. in their drinks to sedate Good them. Point. But yeah, that would be quite 
you know, a lot of smoke in there as well. It'd be like, it would almost be if we were doing Jeffrey Dahmer the musical. I've got a pit. I can I can picture it right now. Is all I'm saying. Netflix yeah, Netflix, all over that. I think they haven't used Dahmer for enough money yet either. So yeah, got to go the whole go. hog. Keep it going. Interesting how they didn't cast a gay guy to do Jeffrey Dahmer. That, that offended me personally. That that's that's like straight washing, isn't it? Shall we say yeah. that straight washing? Can we right? not can we make sure that it's a gay serial killer that's casted next time, please? I like how they made him quite good looking though. It's quite sexy and sexy in the, in, bit, the in the little in the little uh, biopic. It's sexy. Sex it up. Um he basically at this point he goes on to read a report uh, of a 18-year-old death. And as you do, he um wanted to steal the corpse of this 18-year-old that he read about. So he attempted to, and um, he tried tried his best, tried his very best to dig up this 18-year-old's body, but the ground was too hard, so he gave up. We've all been there. No commitment to the cause, though, really. I know. it's. I mean, imagine that sort of mindset. You're reading something in a paper about an 18-year-old dying, and you're going, do you know what? I fancy digging that up. Let's, let's have a little look. Let's, <laughs> let's have a little look what's going you, on. Your brain kind of bypasses thoughts and prayers with the family, but get them a bunch of flowers, a box of chocolates. Nah, dig it up. Dig it up, Dig baby. it up. Go get the shovel. Fair play. <laughs> it's oh, just we probably ridiculous. needed an industrial kind of digger, though, didn't he? Digger, yeah. A bit yeah. frosty. The wrong bit tools. Frosty. Wait until next summer. His digger membership had been suspended. <laughs> Too much digging up. Um, Dig him up 12 times. That was enough for me. The 12. Too many. But it's, just, it's unbelievable to think how that can be a first thought when you read about an 18-year-old dying. Yeah, it's it's not like, oh, that's tragic. It's let's let's have a look for myself. Do you know what I mean? And it's unbelievable that that's even a mindset for anybody. Brilliant. I'm in the market for a body. Yeah, it's just it's ludicrous, isn't it? Anyway, in 1986, he's arrested for pleasuring himself in the presence of two 12-year-olds. Um, he a claimed risky, he was just urinating in the river. Um, interesting, though, I like... The, the weird thing about this is he actually gets one year of probation for this, but he does actually get some punishment. It's interesting to me that they've actually punished him for this, because I almost imagine this back in the day not really getting punished. Like, if two 12-year-olds being believed, that's surprising. Like, this actually <laughs> being punished. I couldn't believe it. I, was, I mean, it's not a very good punishment, but even still, I'm sort of like... What did he get? What, one year's probation? Probation, yeah. Just litter picking and shit like that's boring. But yeah, no, um, you are right with that in the sense that I wouldn't think that... I think that they'd see it back then and just go, for the 12-year-olds, it's character building. <laughs> yeah, do you know what I mean, though? That is no trauma. Weird. No yeah. such thing as trauma. I'm surprised they took it seriously back, in, back then. Let him off. Yeah, it's just the attitudes back then were a bit like, yeah, whatever, kind of thing. So I'm surprised they actually did anything. It's good. It's good they did. Um, then we get on to more murders. Okay, so he's had a little bit of a, a little bit of a break. I think it like a nine year break. We had a bit of respite. I was enjoying the wanking next to the kids. To be honest, Max relax. Now he's back to the murdering. <laughs> and so in 1987, he persuades Stephen Tuami. I'm going to pronounce that surname wrong, probably. Uh, back that. to his. Yeah, well, ironically, not, not the time. He lures this guy back to his hotel. Um, Dharma claims um, he just intended to drug him. And then he wakes up and finds that um, Stephen is dead. And he finds this body on his bed, but with no memory of killing him. Which, again, you just think, like, wow, how can you not remember killing this person? Like, you must be so infatuated by this this body and probably drunk, let's face it, as well. Again, this goes back to the alcohol's probably having an effect here. Yeah, exactly. It's interesting that he's that much in the zone, for want of a better way of putting it, mm. that you wake up with no recollection of doing it and also beforehand you have no intent which is mm. the scariest thing which is it, it comes back to me for this impulsive characterization of his behavior for somebody that lacks control 
he seems to think that the way to gain that control is through these impulsive acts. And these impulsive acts obviously involve sub like subordinating somebody down to the fact that you can control them. And where, how can you control somebody's every move? By killing them. And I think a lot of the time it is the alcohol that's bringing that out of him as well, because it's just constant. I mean, as we go through the the uh, different uh, murders that he committed, every time it involves him drinking beforehand, it becomes part of the ritual almost. It's interesting mm -hmm. how like sort of deviant behavior, and in this case, murderous behavior, comes out in certain people after drink. Like you'll even see it on a small level on nights out when people have a drink and they start getting a bit touchy feely. Like even things like that, do you know what I mean? Like it is, you see yeah. it though. It's like it's a common thing people talk about. Of it's... oh, our mate, yeah, he always gets a bit touchy feely when he's had a few. Like, not, our mate, not our mate. No, 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 no. Like, just like to distance ourselves from anybody yeah. that, that does engage we in that. Expel those people. Drink really does show people's true nature in terms of because it reduces the amount of inhibitors in your brain, basically mm -hmm. neurotransmitters. A, a star in, in psychology, basically just can't tell. You know, enjoy enjoy that enjoy that commentary. That was well worth it. Those two years studying that. But for me, what I enjoy is the fact that he's like he's got all this flesh basically, and he's like, there's too much of it here. So he starts trimming it down into more manageable pieces. Mm -hmm. and then sticks it in the acid, then dispose of it. So there is a bit of method behind it. He wakes up and he goes, fuck me, that was a rough night, and then looks on the floor and goes, Jesus. Yeah, it well, was. He, he buys and a suitcase, gonna... though, doesn't he? He <laughs> buys a suitcase and starts taking his grandma's house. He's harboring all these dead bodies under a roof without even realising. She didn't know it. She doesn't know Olivia's. it. It's unbelievable. I mean, yeah, bought a suitcase, took it to his grandma's house. One week later, he starts cutting up the body. That's not yeah. getting good shape, and, is and, it? No, not well... But it's in whatever shape he wants it to be by the end of it, though, he's cutting it up. And yeah. well, we see uh, a pattern starting to emerge here in the sense that he only ever keeps the head mm. the, uh, the victim. Disposes of the body, keeps the head. Nice. Yeah. Put it in a, a box, whatever. You know. That's, yeah, that's coming up, isn't it? Before boiling a it. Blanket. Interesting stuff. For boiling it, what's the point? what is the point? It's a very meticulous process. He, he did, boiled it in this solution to try and get the skull which then he used for his sexual wants... pleasure, uh, and which was then disposed for being yeah. too brittle. He used it a bit too much. He wanted it for fellatio. Yeah, on a skull. I mean, it's a bit... On a real skull as well. Get, at least get a fake one. Would a fake one have worked? I don't know. Fake skull? Yeah, well, the mannequin works. It seemed to pleasure him for a while. Mm. Until Grandma got rid of it. Well, Granny! Stop getting rid of my mannequin! Stop it. Come on. I've been pleasuring myself with that. Um, but yeah, he does dispose the skull eventually because it becomes too brittle. He begins experimenting okay. with different ways of killing people, basically, and how what solutions to use, how to store them, and that kind of thing as we go through these different killings. Uh, two months later, 14-year-old sex worker James um, Doxtator, Doxtator, I'm going to say, uh, was then lured to his grandma's home, drugged and strangled in the cellar. So again, we're getting into this pattern now of deaths. Yeah, exactly the same again. Body left for a week before cutting it up like his last victim. That was virtually identical, so not really mixing it up too much. But as you can see, this is starting to become a bit more frequent now. He's had a nine-year break, and this spell is now on. I did find that interesting that he went from 1978 to... 1987 without uh murdering you know there's deviant behavior but now we're into the flow of things 14 year old sex work as well that i don't think we should gloss over it's quite interesting isn't it back then that there were those people out there and you know he could uh what he will he um coerce them back to his house by saying that he was going to take nude pictures of them yeah just offering them 50 quid that's all it was it's like just 50 quid 100 quid takes some nude pictures of you 
I mean, it's 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 a shame really to think that obviously people are in those situations where they're doing, you know, having to do those sorts of things as a 14 year old and uh, then obviously get taken advantage of by people generally, but then actually killed by one of these people. Yeah, it is sad. I wonder what grandma would think if she unexpectedly came home from work or whatever early to find a 14 year old nude prostitute in her front room while her grandson was taking pictures of him. But that's my Jeffrey. Should have said. I think should have turned a blind eye. I think don't think should have been bothered. I mean, she's no. like at least it's not a mannequin. She's going out. She's playing bridge. She's playing bridge on the port. Oh, where the, well, where is she? Do. Like where is she? Is this house so big that she's in, like the West <laughs> Wing or something? Like it's, where is she? The hilarious part of this, he's been sent to the grandmas by the parents so she can watch over him. She's not doing that. She's yeah, out getting she's pissed. Been, yeah, she's drinking moonshine. That's what they do in America. He's been Open. sent there to be more disciplined. He's ended up murdering more. It's backfired. What's going on? It's, it's ludicrous, this whole thing. Anyway, things the body... Getting, things are getting a bit worse, aren't they? The body of this um, third uh, person that he's murdered is left there for a week before cutting up. Two months later, 22-year-old Richard Guerrero lured to his place, drugged, strangled, oral sex on the corpse, dissembled and disposed of. April 23rd, my birthday, Ronald Flowers... <laughs> lured, this was obviously before I was born. Ronald Flowers lured back. He was drugged. But Dharma's grandma was heard shouting, Is that you, Jeff? And in basically <laughs> intervened in the middle of this murder. This was going to be his fifth murder at this point. So he'd done four at this point. But Streak. she she overheard. She intervened for once. She, she overheard. Is that a chainsaw, Jeff? Is that, Is that a chainsaw? Someone's screaming? What's... <laughs> no. Um, yeah, tricky one. This one, you would thank your lucky stars that you were Ronald Flowers Jr. in this case. He, he got out of this very lucky. He is, I think, the only person that survived an attempted murder by you know, Jeff, isn't he? One of two, I think, yeah, one of two. One of two, one of two. And he was, ba- Jeffrey basically took him to hospital. So he's got a heart of gold, basically. He took him to hospital because he was that, unconscious. Yeah. I don't that, know why alarm bells aren't ringing at that point. You know, when somebody turns up at a hospital and you as a nurse or a doctor are stood there going, oh, somebody's been drugged. And this guy's, you know, turned up. But like, maybe he thought it happened in a club or something. I don't know. And they were hard to kind of pin it back to somebody but uh if somebody was turning up to my hospital with somebody that was unconscious and had been sedated and then just you would maybe them. yeah you would maybe take a you know second look at him but it's the yeah. 80s baby rock and roll yeah um basically his grandma thought uh, basically saw that he wasn't alone uh and at this point uh, dharma couldn't kill flowers so like i say he took him to the hospital and um, when he whilst he was unconscious uh then it comes september september time comes around so a few months later at this point now and dharma is asked to move out by his grandma because it's the drinking happy. it's the bringing the young men home late at night and it's the bad smells from the basement in the garage not the murdering it's unbelievable <laughs> isn't it like how's she not like, caught on to any of this anyway he moves out Two days later, he's arrested for fondling a 13-year-old boy. So, you know, he lured this 13-year-old boy back home. Again, he just shouldn't be allowed to live by himself or with his grandma, to be honest, just either of those two. And at this point, after fondling a 13-year-old, his dad then hires an attorney. So again, his dad's trying to help him out here. It's not as if he's gone, right, I'm wiping my hands with you. You just, I'm going to leave you to fend for yourself now because you're doing all this horrific stuff. Somebody that would, a parent that was keen to abandon their child wouldn't, suggest you know fund them through university then fund that suggest they join the army for a bit of discipline in their life and then get them an attorney to defend them in court simple yeah it's it's unusual that i mean it doesn't doesn't really strike you as, as a parent that doesn't care it strikes you as that maybe a parent's perhaps a little bit distant and he's you know live, letting his child live quite um independently but he's also helping him out from time to time in this case, when he's thirteen, uh, when he's fondly a thirteen-year-old, anyway, he undergoes psychological evaluations before the hearing, and Dharma seems to 
basically feel alienated. He's very impulsive, uh, suspicious of others, and this, uh, and he's very dismayed by his lack of life accomplishments. And basically, he's told that he essentially has spent a... the first twenty years of your life murdering people, and yeah. exposing yourself to people, and working in a chocolate factory. No offense, no, no offense, Willy Wonka, but no. not really. The Only on Columbus on. listening, right. um, but he is then diagnosed with a personality disorder. I could have told you he had a personality disorder. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. when he's doing this, like, come on. How much are they paying this lawyer? How much do lawyers get paid a year? Do you know what I mean? yeah, I think, think there's something wrong with him. Yeah, I think they're fondling himself in front of kids. I'm, I'm saying yeah. that's maybe a disorder of some sort. You know what I like about this, though, is that he's in court, obviously. He's got a lawyer. And he pleads guilty. And then does the court just rise and just leave? They're like, you know what? We're going to we'll sentence you in, in five months. What's all that about? Why, the, yeah. why is that a thing? This the sentencing, that. there's a bit of a gap, isn't there? So he basically pleads guilty, like you say, to second degree sexual assault and to enticing a child for immoral purposes. It's a bit immoral, that isn't it? Fondly I'd love to immoral. know what first degree sexual assault is if that's second degree sexual assault. Again, just different time, isn't it? Where it's like immoral purposes. Yeah, and wow. we've got a sliding scale of sexual assault. So like, this is like this is peri peri medium sexual assault. Yeah. It's not extra hot sexual assault. Yeah, let's let's just lower it down a little bit. I don't know what you'd have had to have done for it to have, have been, you know, first degree. It's unusual, obviously, isn't it? Obviously, didn't didn't go far enough. Obviously, that's, that's yeah. the message I'm getting from the court. Uh, two months after his conviction, um, but also two months before his sentencing, so like I said, there's a bit of a gap here. Um, he then kills Anthony Sears. This is his f- fifth murder at this point, and Dharma claimed to not be looking to commit a crime uh, until Sears approached him in a club. By the sounds of it, uh, he was then lured. To his grandma's house, sex, drugs, strangled, corpse in bath. Sex, drugs, strangled. <laughs> That's what happened. It's literally, yeah, this is what happens nearly every every time, isn't it? It's, yeah. uh, what I like about this is the characterization from Dharma that this male model, by the way, was uh, wouldn't leave him alone. <laughs> he mm. just started talking to me. He wouldn't leave me alone. We've all been there. You know, you go to the smoking areas to get away from them. They're still there. Leave me alone. Well, I've had people holding my hands in clubs before. But it's interesting that this murder them though, did not murder them. No, not officially. It was coming to the end of the night and Sears approached him. Now, I wonder if one of those things where at the end of the night, you're looking around, you've not got with anybody yet, and you start (sighs) thinking, I think it is. I genuinely think that's what it was. Yeah, I saw it all. Because it was at the end of the night. And it's like, well, looking around, anybody, he seems like a sane individual. Let's go back with him. I he doesn't look like somebody that. that's due to be sentenced for sexual assault in two months' time. Yeah, it, I'll go back with him. I genuinely think that that sounds like what it's like from what I've read. Like yeah. he was getting towards the end of the night and he started a conversation with somebody, perhaps looking for something because that's what people do. The clubs at uni they shut at two, so at like ten to two, you just have everybody on the dance floor looking up like meerkats looking mm-hmm. across the dance floor looking for somebody to go home with. It's probably what happened. What happened here? He was a special one though, Anthony Sears, wasn't he? Dharma found him insanely. Attractive male model, mixed race. Mm-hmm. If that's if that's relevant. So much so that not only did he keep the head, as he always does, the trademark Dharma move, also kept his balls as well. Yeah, kept the old genitals in a box, didn't he? Nice ornamental kind of prize. The Native Americans used to scalp their victims. Dharma chops their bollocks off. I wish there was a scientific way of putting it. No, there's not. There really isn't. I mean, decapitated the body before um, trying to skin it, as as you do, uh, retained the head and genitals in a box. Even when Um, he moved house, he kept the box of... I know, and he went one step further. He started taking it to work with him as well, popped it in his locker there. It's a bit weird, isn't it? Bring bring your kids to work, Dave, but we haven't had a 
bring your ex's bollocks to work, Dave. Yeah. It's, it's a bit weird, Jeff. Bring, that I'm not going to lie to you. To work, I'm not gonna, not to the chocolate factory. No, honestly, people don't. people have ate chocolate that he packaged or that he made. That's a bit weird. Mm, I was wearing gloves at the time. That's all I'm saying. Back then, though, health and safety not really not really a thing. Good point. Not much but, safety um, going on in this he, in this story. Obviously, then he kills his, the, his fifth person at this point, and, uh, and then he goes on to be sentenced for that fondling thing. Remember that fondling thing that he did? If, uh, yeah, a while back now. He we've then gets sentenced. We've let you run years. roughshod. Right. You no, know, go out clubbing every night if you want. We haven't sentenced you yet, and then he gets sentenced. It's that no, time, well, five years prob- uh, probation and one year of house of correction. And he gets a work release uh, so he can still keep his job, which is nice of them because he's fond of a 13-year-old, but he can keep his job. Probation, I also have to outline, he's still not being locked up. Probation is like charity work or like litter picking, isn't it? Yeah, I, my understanding of probation was basically if you don't break this set of rules, then you'll get locked up, I think. You're yeah. like under a certain set of rules. Probably. It's like a slap of the wrist. Like you have to do this charity work. And if you offend again, then you're locked up. So he still hasn't been locked up at this point, only in a correctional facility, which to me is just like a padded cell. Not jail. Yeah. I want him I in th- jail. I think he did have saying. to do some sort of work, I think, perhaps for them. Yeah. Uh, I think it was some sort of work camp involved there uh, because it goes on to say he was required to register as a sex offender and he was then released from this work camp two months early for good behaviour, presumably. Presumably. Tell me what you um, want about him, but he was a good worker. Yeah, he, he worked hard, tried his, tried his best. He then moves back in with his grandma, ding dong, back at it again. That's, that's <laughs> the dream the trigger, team back it? together. Yeah. No wonder well, he loves working with her, though. He can get away with anything that he, that he wants to do. Yeah, I mean, it's just unbelievable. Moves back in with his grandma. She's gone. Do you know what? If you can keep the smells to a minimum, you can stay. We're Did going to have a bleach rotor. Mm hmm. I want you so contributing buy... to the bleach income on a weekly basis. <laughs> the, bleach, the bleach fund. So I'll buy the bleach one week. Next week you have to buy bleach because if you're using it on too the much Akada. bleach, it's just <laughs> using too much bleach. It's just not fair, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I've been know, wanting to clean the toilet now for three weeks, exactly. and every time I've gone to get the domestos, it's been empty. What must be going on here, and how she's completely oblivious to this? Like all just under the same roof as her? Completely has no idea whatsoever. She's meant to be retired. She's meant to be in all day watching Jeremy Kyle. Yeah, it's just weird to think how. Someone under the same roof can just be oblivious to that kind of thing, like something so horrific. Strange, isn't it? Strange to think about. May 1990, he then moves out. So then he's moved back in with his grandma. Now he's moving out again. A lot of chopping and changing. Quite an unstable home life. Uh, it then takes his mummified head and genitals with him, as you do. And one week later, after moving out again, it seems to be the trigger for him of him being by himself seems to be a big thing as well. Uh, Because one week later, he then kills Raymond Smith, who is again Mm -hmm. drugged and strangled. And the next day, buys a Polaroid camera to take pictures of Smith in suggestive positions and dismembering his body in a bathroom uh, in his new place, which, you know, in a new place, you don't want to be doing that in the bathroom, do you? Destroying it and everything. Blood I love how the new place was characterised as being an high-crime area. I mean, a crime rate is about to skyrocket. Never mind high crime. You don't say nothing yet. The, the weird thing for me is this This is a sixth murder at this point, OK? Still got another 11 to go, spoiler alert. Um, but no, has anyone reported these people missing? Like, has anyone gone, <laughs> do you know what? There's a lot of people dying in this area. Should we look into this? Nah. He's getting that complacent now. There is actually a camera that exists, a Polaroid camera that exists, that is going to be full of evidence. 
But he doesn't give a fuck. He doesn't care because he's just getting away with everything here. He's just stick him on Instagram. Anything. Nobody cares. No one cares. Um, he then spray paints Smith's skull again, mm-hmm. as you do, and placed alongside Sears in a filing cabinet. Again, this idea of putting it in a filing, a metal filing yeah. cabinet, like as an object, isn't it? To him, it's like a stapler. This, do you know what I mean? Like it's just an object. <laughs> this thing. Do you know what I mean? Like, he's treating it <laughs> like true. it's just an object. <laughs> Pop it in the true. filing cabinet. It's the nonchalant nature of it, isn't it? Which, like yeah. I said, probably comes from being in any form. If you're three or four four years old as he was going out into the woods and finding dog carcasses and taking the heads you know this kind of obsession with uh skulls is a, a constant throughout his childhood and every single murder that he committed one week later again getting really into the habit now at this point um one week later lures someone else back and this time though he accidentally drugs himself that's funny <laughs> I had to laugh I mean, at this bit. <laughs> this is this is unbelievable. Accidentally drugs himself. Not only does he accidentally drug himself by presumably drinking the wrong drink, drinking the, the drink that's laced with sedatives, he wakes up to find that the guy that he tried to drug had robbed him. <laughs> robbed him like $300, I think, isn't he, or something? He still take the watch as well. Imagine being that person, though, and being like, oh, my God, I was the guy that nearly got killed. And <laughs> if I would have got killed, if he hadn't drugged himself. Imagine knowing that. It's ridiculous, isn't it? Mad. It's a story to tell the grandkids, isn't it? Yeah, I might Google that after, actually, to see what happened to this guy, because he must now know that yeah. what happened. It's on record what happened. Unbelievable to think. We're in June 1990 at this point. Edward Smith yeah. is drugged and stang- uh, strangled, and his Smith's uh, skeleton is put in a freezer for several months. Uh, the skull is then put in the oven to dry, but it explodes in the oven. Now... This is the thing about schools, and I, th- I assume this happens with more than more than just schools because um, around Christmas time a few years back, uh, oh my mum bought some chestnuts. Thank God. And <laughs> my mum brought some schools. She bought a school home, and no, she bought some chestnuts. And it's Christmas time, and she thought, let's roast some chestnuts in the oven. She popped them in the oven, and they did start exploding. And it was like banging, like gunshot sounds and everything like that. So this can happen in ovens. Things can explode. Chestnuts everywhere. Almost like bringing an extreme amount of heat into a situation would cause an explosion. I wouldn't think that it would happen with with chestnuts, though. Although I've heard of them popping before. They do pop, don't they? If you Mm. roast them, roasted chestnuts, they do pop. This was exploding Uh, internally, so not ideal. Uh, But this happened with the skull. This happened with Edward Smith's skull. And uh, interestingly... Dharma felt rotten about not being able to retain any of the body parts. Oh, felt rotten about it. That's what he later said. Uh, Operative use of words, isn't it? Rotten. Because obviously he loves rotten things. He loves rotten things. It's it's just, it's unbelievable. I mean, he he attempted to preserve it all, but was just, again, experimenting with this, uh, with things at this point. And so it didn't work. Desperate to keep it, sticking skulls in the the fridge and then, you know, trying to roast them in the oven or whatever, because... They'd always turn out too brittle, wouldn't they? And he wouldn't be able to get pleasure out of those skills. It's a hard life, though, being a, a serial killer. It is. He's had it pretty easy up until this point. And there's no police chase. Nobody's really been on his case. He's on probation. You know, he's trying to do a bit of litter picking. And... Yeah, now he's now he's 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 honing his craft. It's exactly what he's doing. We will we will go through the next few names fairly quickly because obviously there's quite a few names to get through. Yeah. Um, but then we move on to Ernest Miller, who was mm-hmm. drugged slightly. It was it was said that he was drugged slightly, and then Dharma slashed an artery in his neck to basically finish him off. He then kissed and talked to the severed head um, as he cut up the body. So the body's dead at this point, and he's kissing nice. it, talking to it like it's alive. 
again, control, etc., etc. Um, he put the heart, liver, bicep, and leg flesh in the freezer for later consumption. We should probably say um, he does like eating hearts yes. and organs. Um, Which, uh, if if needs must, has it's been found as a, a, a way of survival. I remember learning about westward expansion in America in the early 20th century is a party called the Donner Party who were trekking across America, across the Rockies and got trapped because of a snowstorm and they just started eating each other. It does <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's, it's a way of survival. It's not something that you should do as a normal person. Not with other alternatives. Basis. Please, you know, don't make a habit of it. There's Have a meal deal, for around. God's sake. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Overpopulation and all that. Yeah. But it's not its not the hallmark of a, a normal person. But I think we've discovered that by now he's anything but normal. Yeah, so this this becomes a habit for him. Uh, three weeks later, um, David Thomas gets drugged, strangled and cut open. Uh, nothing retained this time round uh, because Dharma was not attracted to him after drugging him. So he only kept the pictures. So um, just dumped everything, binned everything off. And then How no do you killing. feel if you were David Thomas? Bit, well, dead. So I don't know. Probably not much. Uh, the only reason you nearly survived is because you were a bit ugly. Yeah. It's a, it's a double blow for, for David Thomas. Not only is he being killed, but he's also gone, do you know what, you're a bit minging? Yep. That's, this is I a mean, guy with no standards. Whammy. This is the guy that has sex with corpses and he thinks you're ugly. Yeah. That's that, low. Isn't, that isn't good, is it? It's, it's not good for... Yeah, not good for self-esteem, that. Jesus. Uh, anyway, no killings for the next five months. Um, yes. But he did unsuccessfully try to lure at least five people back. So we can safely say he was still trying to do it, just less successfully. He went through a bit of a, a dodgy spell. bit of a Dry pack. spell? Dry spell, Dry I patch. think, yeah. Just wean yourself off the... Uh... The old sex. And then he goes through a bit more of a spree. So 17-year-old Curtis uh, Strouter was killed, kept his skull, hands and genitals. 19-year-old Errol Lindsay was heterosexual, interestingly, uh, drugged and then drilled a hole in his skull, poured some acid in there. Uh, Lindsay woke up with a headache, apparently, um, asking, what's the time? I've got a, I've got a sore head. I've got a headache. What time, what time is it? Got somewhere to be. Uh, he was then drugged again, strangled, and retained the skull. I wonder that if that is actually true, though. So have a, a, a you know have a hole drilled into your skull and acid poured into it. I wonder if that's him, Dharma drunk or something, or just imagining it, fantasizing about it. Because I don't know if you can be able to communicate after that. Acid you've in the had brain. a hole hole dr- drilled into your skull. It's the acid in the brain, so, surely. So painful, though, first and foremost, mm. that I don't think you'd be able to formulate any thoughts because you'd be in that much pain. And then the acid surely just burns the insides of your brain. So yeah. I'm not sure, but I don't know. This is him making making stories. Um, he's like, yeah, and he woke up. Adding woke bits up. to it, isn't he? Because he knows it does get a little bit tedious, to be honest, doesn't it? Because he goes through the Dharma's same a one trick pony. He's thinking, yeah. you know what? People are going to get sick of my, you know what I do is I drug them, I strangle them, and I dissolve them in acid. He's trying to maybe spice it up a bit. He could probably see the interviewer at this point getting a bit bored. Um, residents complained uh, to the apartment manager of smells coming from Dharma's room and occasionally chainsaw sounds. Uh, he claimed mm. that the freezer had broken and the contents were spoilt. And then later when it happened again, he claimed that his tropical fish had died. Uh, so he's really cool, quite quick at coming up with excuses just on the spot by the sounds of it. He's a good liar, isn't he? It's probably the rotting genitalia or his mantelpiece in that wooden box that's beginning to smell. But blame it on the lettuce. That'll do it. That'll, that will do it, won't it? Um, then in May 20, 24th, 1991, Tony Hughes, drugged, injected with acid into the skull, dies. May 26th, two days later, the 14-year-old Lao teenager 
Konarak, Konarak, uh, who was interestingly, and he didn't know this, uh, Dharma, mm. he was the younger brother of the boy oh, he yeah. molested uh, back in 1988. And he then goes on basically small to... World. Small world. It's a very small world, but the sounds of it. He drugs this teenager, oral sex, drilled into the skull, acid, uh, and then several beers later, he falls asleep, wakes up, goes to the bar, returns home to seeing this boy naked on a street corner. Very mind, he's drilled into the skull, put acid into this kid's head. I don't know how this kid's surviving here. He's well, yeah, he's all, kid. It's like he's almost not very good at it. He's doing it that many times. He's, he's making these slip-ups. If somebody's waking up, the other guy's waking up after he drilled a, skull, a, a hole into his skull and poured, it in, poured it acid in. And he's done the same with this kid. And this kid's out walking around with a hole in his head and acid pouring out of it. Interesting. I don't know how he's surviving this. It's weird. But anyway, this boy is, is sat naked on a street corner. Three young women are nearby uh, sort of talking to him or trying to talk to him. Police are le- later arrive. Um, basically, Dharma claims he was his 19-year-old boyfriend and he's just very drunk. The woman, the women saw the bleeding coming from this boy's bum and testicles and tried to raise it with the officer. But the officer said, shut the hell up. Which, you know, again, just sort of... I mean, this is 1991. This isn't even that long ago at this point. But out. Yeah, What's up? Love. Shut up. Love. I bet, I imagine <laughs> me, he said. Let me do my job. Or let me not do my job. Yeah. I'm then clocking he goes off on. in five minutes. He then goes on to escort Dharma and the boy back into the apartment. Nothing to see here. Hole on the head. Bit of bleeding from the anus. Move on. Next. What are, the, what are those gays like? Eh? What are they like? Bleeding yeah. from the anus. It's, it's standard practice, man. Standard practice. Leave them to it. And his but parting out. words from the officer to Dharma was, take good care of him. And off he left. Um, he then gets um, more acid injected into the brain and was then killed straight away uh, after the officer left. Um, Dharma then takes a day leave from work to cut off, uh, cut up both of the bodies. So he, got, he obviously killed someone two days previous as well, uh, Tony mm-hmm. Hughes, and obviously Hughes. this boy. He's now got to cut up both of these bodies and retains both of these skulls. So he takes a day off work. He's suffering from a backlog of rotting corpses in the apartment. Yep. Two in the space of three days is... Uh, Quite a lot for, by prolific. his standards. Then June 30th rolls around. Matt Turner killed, but was never reported missing, which is interesting. It's quite sad to hear that someone's killed and just never reported missing. Um, Jeremiah uh, Weinberger was drugged, injected twice with boiling water in the skull, went to a coma and died. Oliver Lacey, sex, drugs, and then tried using chloroform to strangle him. Didn't work, so strangled him properly and then had sex with the body after. Uh, then having to phone work later on uh, because he needed some more absence, uh, more, more time off work because he's got so much so much on his plate, basically, with all his bodies piling up. Um, this was then granted, um, but he was then suspended the next day from his work. So he finds out he's fired. Then he goes on to kill somebody else, Joseph um, Braidhoft, decapitating the, his body and cleaning the maggots um, off his head eventually as well because he'd left it there for a little while by the sounds of it. So it's all starting to pile up quite literally at this point on him, losing through his, his own Through his own volition, though, he's being a bit too prolific, a bit too good at luring people into his house, usually under the pretense of the nude photos. That was just his go-to story, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. A bit like Bundy. We found that Bundy had a, a tale that he would tell all of his victims in order to lure them in. Um, but he's just getting a bit too good at what he's doing. So he's sat from work. Not a lot to lose now, really. Probably getting a bit stressed, impulsive, out of control, and all comes crashing down. Yeah, so this is really just going from 
one thing after another. He's just going on a constant spree of killing people at this point. Um, and at this point, he then decides to approach three men, offers them $100 uh, to pose for new pictures and drink beer. Just come back to mine, have a good time. We'll drink some beer, beers, lads. Tracy Edwards is the only person who agrees to go. And when he goes back to uh, Dharma's house, he then gets handcuffed on one wrist. He couldn't get the other handcuff on or something. So he just gets one one wrist handcuffed, then gets lured into the bedroom where there is The Exorcist 3 playing in, on the TV in the bedroom. Is that a horror film? Is a horror film, yes. Like say, one, yeah. yeah, quite a well-known uh, horror film, that one. It's and there's loads ominous. of... There's loads of pictures on the walls and these kind of things. There's an oil drum there which with some sort of stench coming from it in the bedroom. Not a great place for an oil drum. Maggots. Yeah, not ideal. Uh, Anyway, then this guy is on the bed, handcuffed, uh, like I say, partially handcuffed. Adama gets out a knife. At this point, it's quite clearly not heading into a good situation. He basically tries to convince Dharma, okay, can we just talk about this? Can we just sit and chill for a bit? Can we have a few more beers, have a chat, whatever? Somehow he manages to do that. He convinces them to stop and convince them to use the bathroom as well, which is an interesting sort of conversation changer. Dharma has a lapse of concentration, which allows Edwards to punch him, and therefore allowing him to run out of the front door. Uh, Then he was able to flag down police, who then go to the apartment. They find the knife, the Polaroids, and Dharma is finally arrested. So it all comes crashing down pretty quickly at this point, when this one just doesn't go to plan at all. And uh, clearly tried to sort of maybe change up his routine a little bit with the handcuffing. I don't know if that's something he'd done before. So probably experimenting, probably getting a bit bored himself of it, isn't he? But mm. you think that he get the more that he murdered, the more that he'd kind of master the craft. But obviously, what we see is a, quite often a pattern in these kind of cases where murderers try to test themselves even more. It's it almost gets a bit too easy for them, so they start experimenting with different ways of going about things, and obviously in this particular instance, didn't quite work out for, for Jeffrey. Just a lapse in concentration, and that's it. Ironically, he ended up in handcuffs himself. Been a long should. time coming. Been a he, long time He did fight the arrest, um, but uh, eventually they got handcuffs on him, and the officers find, obviously, severed heads, hearts, and other organs. Polaroids. Yeah, everything. Two, two entire skeletons and two penises. It's just ludicrous. Um, interestingly, whilst handcuffed, he says, for what I did, I should be dead. So I think he's starting to come to terms now that the, the sort of illusion of control he thought he had sort of ended because now he's in handcuffs. And this perhaps has burst the bubble. And I think he's now sort of starting to realise what he's done and the horrific nature of it. And really he's now getting to the point of actually self-loathing himself, sort of this sort of self-loathing which he's going through, uh, which I think becomes apparent um, as we go through the arrest and the trial and everything like that. So he goes through this sort of questioning, doesn't he, without asking mm-hmm. for a lawyer? He's pretty much basically resigned to just be like, yeah, I'm going to say I'm guilty. I think when the forensics people are turning up and they're going, it's a bit like a museum. You know, he's keeping these body parts, different body parts of of victims as trophies, basically. It's more like a museum than a crime scene is what the the, the forensics people said. I think you're banged to rights at that point, aren't you? Really? Yeah, I mean, it's you, you can't really wiggle out of that one. And nor do I think he wanted to. I don't think he had any appetite to. I think he was like, yeah, I've had my fun kind of thing. That was That's it now. That's that's kind of what I deserve. I've got what I deserved. If he wanted to get away with it, he wouldn't have started taking Polaroid pictures and he wouldn't have kept the remains after. Yeah. 
Exactly. Um, he admitted to killing 16 men in the previous four years and Stephen Hicks in 1978. Um, almost all the murders at the Oxford apartments involved a ritual of posing uh, the victims' bodies in like suggestive positions. He then confesses to eating the hearts and other organs of three of his victims, uh, retaining some of the flesh for later consumption. So he's really tucking into it and he's like making these body parts like tender and mixing in different condiments before eating them and that kind of thing. He's really really sort of trying to turn this into um a way of sort of enjoying it even more like now he's consuming them that's that's the sort of ultimate control is that they're staying with him forever almost it's easy to characterize because of the pace of the murders at the end it's easy to characterize this as some kind of impulsive ill thought through rampage but at the end of the day he had big plans for these mm. kind of body parts he was planning on creating a little room in his house or an altar dedicated to for himself, dedicated to the people that he murdered with incense sticks and candles and, and and the like, with spaces allocated for each severed head. So as grim as it is, there's actually a lot of thought behind this. Yeah, and he and he drew out the whole picture of his of his plan and his vision um, okay. behind what what he wanted to do. He actually called it was he said it was going to be a place for meditation for him, um, which I think is an interesting it's one where he could draw a sense of power. Again, mm-hmm. that's what it comes down to: power control. This whole thing. Yeah. Eventually, he pleads guilty to 15 counts of murder. Well, guilty but insane is what he pleads to. Um, he wasn't charged with Edwards and uh, Toyomi, uh, who was the second murder um, originally, uh, because he couldn't, he couldn't be proved beyond reasonable doubt, which is interesting because he's actually saying, I, I killed these people. But because it couldn't yeah. be proved, they can't really prosecute him. And yeah, I don't know whether that's changed by now in the modern day. It's only 20 years ago, though, isn't it? So I'm not sure, or 30 years ago. I'm not sure what that is. That Tuomi was the guy that Dharma forgot murdering, but mm-hmm. went to sleep with, and then woke up the next morning and he'd been murdered. I'm not sure what kind of concrete evidence you'd need. I think you even had a confession from Dharma. So, yeah, yeah it's a strange one, isn't it? But he, like I say, he had no memory of committing this crime, so they didn't end up prosecuting him on on that one at, at that point in time. Um, then he goes to trial, as you'd expect. A forensic psychiatrist uh, is called in as a witness. And um, Dharma's habit of of getting drunk before each of these murders uh, was basically highlighted as a key factor behind the murders was was his drinking or suggested anyway by this particular psychiatrist uh, and basically showing that he needed this drink to overcome this inhibition that we have or generally people have uh, towards killing. And basically this this kind of showed that it, alcohol was a big factor. Without that, perhaps he wouldn't have committed these crimes. Exactly. Alcohol and some seemingly interesting influences and role models from movies. You know, I think after reading about this case, I'm going to kind of be wary about people that I say that they identify with villains in movies because they're, I think The Exorcist was one of them, wasn't it? That was one of his favorites. Mm-hmm. And then it was one of the Star Wars movies. I can't remember which one exactly. Darth Vader, maybe? Yeah, sure. possibly. I mean, that's not all I can think. It's really interesting yeah, to think you had like Star Wars just playing in the background. I mean, it's just so bizarre. With the lightsaber, I always thought it was for kids, Star Wars, you know, with the lightsaber swishing around and everything. Chewbacca. Well, that's like off. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. As if anybody, that's do, you like, do you like Star Wars? I don't know. I quite I like a good lightsaber. Um, then, then the murders. Um, basically, other others in this trial claimed that these murders that he committed uh, was due to pent up aggression within himself, and they actually wanted to kill the source of his homosexual attraction to mm. um, these these people he was killing. 
interesting which i think isn't a very interesting way of looking at things i actually think perhaps some truth in that as well um but these people were actually declaring him legally sane so they were saying even though there were there were these things that, that he's done we actually believe him to be legally sane and obviously this is part of the the prosecution that were that were claiming this um, yeah. because obviously they want him to be trialed as a sane person and so he'd get longer time or you know won't get prof- professional treatment or whatever um and basically uh, alcohol and self-hatred of his sexuality uh, were, were the other factors involved here. Uh, so again, that, that seems a recurring theme during the trial. The conviction ruled that he was sane and not suffering from a mental disorder. Dharma then makes a statement in court. He says he wishes for his own death and doesn't desire freedom. So he's very much come to terms with his actions, I think, here, uh, and thinks that, fair enough, yeah, I've done these horrific things. I deserve this punishment. Um, at this point, he gets it's... sentenced to 15 terms of life imprisonment. We, life. We'll call it life. Uh, three months later, he's then tried for his first murder and pleads guilty. So that's his 16th term of life imprisonment. It's sort of stacking up at this point. Not that it makes much of a difference. He then obviously goes to prison. So he's been convicted 16 life sentences. Thing, one thing I find goes. the most interesting about the trial is that the person, the defence attorney that was defending him in the trial for these 17 murders was the defence attorney that was roped him by his dad in 1988 to defend him over the uh, indecent exposure. Is it the same one? (laughs) Gerald Boyle, the same name, at least. I presume it's the same one. So this lawyer gets hired by uh, Dharma's father in 1988. Son's been, you know, know, fondling a 13-year-old. Can he come in and defend him? So, yeah. And then a mere, what, three years later? Boyle's having to defend him for 17, probably, 17 pro- counts of murder. They've probably got him on a retainer at this point, haven't they, I reckon? <laughs> like they've just got him. It's a family lawyer, I think, at this point. Yeah. Um, big payday, big payday. He's cashing in. And he obviously then goes to prison. And in his first year, he's given solitary confinement due to safety concerns about him being killed by one of the other inmates. Uh, and he has actually, in this time, sent donations, some money donations by people around the world for him to buy magazines, cigarettes, these kind of things while in prison, which is quite interesting. But there are lots of these sort of people who are probably not too dissimilar minded, to be honest, um, <laughs> who have a fascination with these murderers and serial killers. We hear about this time and time again. I think Ted Bundy had a few of those as Ted well. Ted Bundy had a few admirers that would write in you know, fan mail and the like. It's, it's, it's certainly interesting. It's, of course, a, an argument against the Netflix romanticization of these these figures. I personally don't mind it, but some people are dead set against it, saying we shouldn't glamorise these, mm. these murders. I think you do have to, you know, thoughts and, and prayers with the families of the victims because it obviously brings everything back to public, the forefront of public consciousness when Netflix are pushing these uh, these documentaries. Or especially if it's a dramatization as well. We're yeah. gonna cast this young fit actor as Jeffrey Dahmer or whatever and recreate everything. Is is you know, maybe some people find it rather unnecessary. Yeah, I mean definitely for some people they'll, they'll see it's a bit distasteful, won't they? The the whole sort of um, dramatization of it in particular, I think. Um but it does seem to gain a lot of interest for people, doesn't it? For, for, yep. for sure. Um after this first year of being in prison, he's then sent to a less secure unit. Um, where he basically for two hours a day has to clean the toilets. A fellow inmate then attempts to kill him uh, with a razor, which is embedded in a toothbrush after church. That's Very prison creative. life, that, isn't it? That is prison life. I think that happens a lot in, in your prison, especially in America. People would either shove a razor in their toothbrush or sharpen the end of their toothbrush mm. into a weapon. Speaking it's very James from... Bond, though, isn't it? Like a gadget, yeah. sort of like a, a razor in a toothbrush. Yeah. <laughs> is it Q? Yeah. Well, Bond for this mission. I'm giving you a toothbrush. I wonder who does that. A razor. 
<laughs> so anyway, someone attempts to kill him, uh, but he wasn't seriously hurt in this uh, attempt. Uh, five months later, he then goes to the showers with two inmates, uh, completely unsupervised, and then Dharma is later found with extreme head wounds uh, on him as a result of one of the inmates killing him. Uh, it sounds like he was killed with a big metal bar, uh, a 20-inch metal bar, which I'm not sure how was smuggled into uh, into prison there. <laughs> Again, just not very. 20-inch. You've not noticed that? 20 and it's obviously how are you how are you smuggling that in i know how how like inflicting significant head damage on him as well this isn't as if he's given a tap on on the shoulder this is a proper metal bar and um he gets extreme head wounds and then later dies in hospital in fact both of the inmates were killed Yeah, i was gonna say killed both of them yeah also schizophrenic as well the murderer so i'm not sure it doesn't really seem make sense to me why this is a a low security prison when you've got a load of schizophrenics wandering around and getting showered together. Yeah, and also unsupervised. Like you know that this guy wants to kill himself. You know that also adds to the fact that there are going to be inmates that want to kill him as well. It doesn't seem particularly wise, although Jeffrey Dahmer did accept that conclusion of going into that lesser secure prison, so he did agree to that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, interesting. Interesting. Weird how the, uh, the loved ones react, isn't it, when something like this happens? Similar again that we had with Bundy. Mum wasn't happy. She no. portrayed it as some kind of media circus. You know, you were all gunning for this. You created a media circus around it. And now this is what you've done. Always weird, you know, the delusion. Obviously, she wasn't mentally stable herself, but yeah. still interesting. She was She was saying, is everyone happy now? Is that good enough for everyone? That, those kind of things. Some of the victims' families were, were celebrating the death. Uh, others were also very saddened by it. One saying, yeah. uh, the hurt is worse now because he is not suffering like we are. Which yeah, I think reasonable is point. Up. I mean, you can understand that, can't you? A part of his punishment is suffering by himself. A reasonable it? point to make, I think. It's a classic kind of mum sticks by son. Some uh, victims' families are happy. Some victims' families are, you know, resentful. It happened with the Bundy. With the Bundy it's very similar, isn't it? Very similar. Yeah, the parallels at various points are interesting. Um, Dharma wished for no service and was cremated, which I think is interesting. Cremating him, surely cut him up. Do you know what I mean? Surely pop him <laughs> in a freezer is what I was th- I was thinking. Cremating, that's... Come on. Cut him up and dissolve the body, but keep the yeah, Keep the skull, <laughs> always. That's what he um, would have wanted. Dharma's mum died in 2000 of cancer, having uh, tried to take her own life, I think, by the sounds of it, just before. Um, Dharma's dad uh, then retired uh, with his new wife, living a new life, uh, and you didn't stop. end up changing his surname. Changed surname. She didn't. She didn't. I missed that completely. I was making a joke. She kept on. They refused That's... to change the surname. He, well, his dad wanted to keep it. Re- replace the, remove the, the, don't remove the stigma, kind of replace the stigma instead. Mm-hmm. Whereas Dharma's younger brother, David, did decide to change his surname, which is probably wise, isn't it? Probably. And he now lives in anonymity. Probably what I would have done as well. I think we all attached. probably would have done. I mean, when your older brother's a, a psychopath, yeah. you sort of distance yourself, do you? It's interesting, though, how his dad sort of felt like he stuck by him even towards the end kind of thing. Like, they both seem to stick by him fairly, which is weird because I sort of think, you know, if I'd done that, I just think my family quite rightly should just reject me forget about me yeah i I, die it happened with ted bundy as well whereas i think he had wives sticking up for him wives Mm. multiple and now you have the the parents sticking up for dharma when the writing is on the wall like this i think you must have a weird relationship with the fact that your offspring you created that do we play a part in this with the upbringing but listen they listen to this podcast upbringing maybe has nothing to do with it exactly 
maybe we've relieved them of that. You are absolved. Of You're welcome. Responsibilities. We'll end the podcast here. See you later. Goodbye. <laughs>